Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join his disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey and had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit is increased in numbers. 
Thank you very much for reading that. Do keep that open if you can. Let's pray and ask for God's help that he will use this time and use his word to grow his church. Father, we thank you so much that you have spoken life to us. You've given us your word. And we ask that you would help us to understand it and to see Jesus more clearly. Please grow us as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ, into Christ-likeness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our great theme today is the resurrection of Jesus. We told about it, spoke about it in our uh, confession, in our creed today. The resurrection of Jesus stands at the very center of the Christian faith. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you are not a Christian. I don't know if that is news to any one of you. But the resurrection of Jesus stands right at the center. But as with so many of the doctrines of the Bible, these great truths are taught alongside other truths to live by and to believe. So this morning, we learned about the resurrection of Jesus in the context of what does it mean for us to live as Christians. Today, we're going to see the resurrection of Jesus, this resurrection appearance that Jesus made to the Apostle Paul and um, see what that means in the context of the secondary theme of persecution. And that may be something that is forefront in some of our minds. If you've been here over the last um, few weeks or whatever, I've had the privilege of sharing something about what life is like for Christians in China. And I've talked about some of the challenges, churches being closed, schools being closed, of Christians trying to move somewhere where they can live out their Christian life freely. But of course, we don't have to go to the other side of the world to speak about persecution. Over the last 10, 15 years, churches in Canada, the US, Scotland, have been shut down because they were faithful to the gospel. As denominations drift away from the authority of scripture, and individuals' congregation hold fast to the truth that we have, they are kicked out of the buildings they live in. Is there a possibility of that happening in England? Who knows? It's certainly plausible. We can um, look at uh, publications. I picked this up this morning. Christian Institute. And um, there's many things in here, but it, it talks about an Isabel Vaughan Spruce, a Sean Go, who were praying quietly outside an abortion clinic, and they were arrested for what they were doing. Has there ever been a time in England where simply praying quietly could lead you to be arrested? Persecution is coming closer. And of course, you're all savvy. You know what you might want to say on a social media, the historic truths that Christians have believed all the time. You know the types of things that you could write that would ruin your job prospects or your education or your standing with friends. Persecution is a very real thing. Following Jesus is becoming harder. And it is in that context 
that we have this wonderful appearance of the resurrected Jesus to the Apostle Paul, and he gives comfort. My hope is that as we look at this passage, we will be reminded once again that Christ is risen, and therefore we do not need to fear persecution. So let's go through this passage. I've already made the mistake of referring to Saul as Paul. You probably know him far better as the Apostle Paul, the great apostle who went and um, planted churches uh, across the Roman world. Um, We know him more as Paul, but in this passage he is Saul. Let's go through this passage, consider what happens to him and his experience. And then at the end we'll sum up some of the things that we are learning about Christ and his uh, relationship with his church. Have a look. Verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That word still means that we need to go further back. We might want to go back to chapter 7, where Stephen uh, preaches Christ, and he becomes the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. And there famously was Saul giving his approval to what was being done. And then um, begins the first great persecution of the church. Saul goes out and in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Saul goes out, he tries to destroy the church. He goes from house to house, dragging off both men and women, putting them in prison. This is a man who is zealous to do great harm. But of course, if you asked him, he would be saying he was doing good. So many other people who persecute God's church think that they are doing good for God or good for whatever they claim they want to be doing. But Saul is not content with attacking the church in Jerusalem. He wants to go up to Damascus. Damascus is about 180 miles north. And um, he is determined to stop the spread of the church up there. Because if Christians gain a, a stronghold in Damascus, they might go to the rest of the world and And Saul wants to nip this in the bud. And he writes to the high priests. Those high priests, of course, were the people who oversaw the death of Jesus, who were there in the trial. He writes to the high priests. The high priests are very happy to send him the letters. And um, Saul makes this long journey north up to Damascus. And he's going to find the Christians. And he's going to imprison them, put them in shackles, and drag them 180 miles south to Jerusalem, where they will most likely be put on trial and killed. Saul is determined to attack the church. This is the great threat to the growth of this early church. And so Saul goes. And as he goes, famously, verse 3, he nears Damascus on his journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Just imagine what is going through Saul's head at that very moment. He knows the Old Testament. This is God speaking to him from heaven. And he's saying, why are you persecuting me? What what does that mean? What does it mean to persecute God? And so he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine the horror those words must have come to Saul? He had devoted this part of his life to destroy the very church, and he's not destroying this weak little group of Christians with their novel ideas. He is trying to destroy God himself, the Lord Jesus, speaking from heaven. And he says, this is my church. Can you see this, this amazing close connection between Christ and his church? To persecute the church is to persecute Christ. That is how close that relationship between Jesus and his church is. You cannot bless Jesus and not bless the church. You cannot persecute the church and not persecute Christ. That connection is inseparable. Why you persecute me? Saul has set himself up against the Lord Almighty. How foolish is that? What else is going through his head at the moment? Maybe he's um, thinking about that question. Why are you persecuting me? Well, well, aren't I doing this for the honor of God? Aren't I getting rid of all these Christians who say God is a bit like Jesus dying on the cross? Well, no, he's not doing it for the honor of God. He is doing it against the very purposes of God. Maybe he's thinking, is there hope for me? To set yourself against God himself is a futile task. Maybe some of you are doing that even now. To set yourself against God is futile. Is there hope for Saul? But maybe there is. We don't think about it this way, do we? To strike a man blind so that he is blind for three days, unable to help himself. Is this not a strange and unusual grace of God to humble a man like this. He doesn't strike him dead. He could have struck him dead. He, God later on destroyed Herod as he was persecuting the church. Isn't this an unusual grace and kindness that Jesus displayed to Saul? Or however he is thinking, he is led away continues that voyage, uh, that journey up to Damascus. Um, He's groping around. Instead of him going into Damascus in strength, leading uh, uh, the Christians away, he's gone in weakness, and he's being led there. And for three days, he doesn't eat or drink anything as he thinks about what he has seen. And we would love to spend more time in him. But Luke points us in another direction. He changes the scene. We go to Ananias there in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord. Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him to restore his sight. And here we have one of the little helpful elements of Ananias and um, Ananias says, oh God, I know you know all things, uh, but have you forgotten who Saul is? Have you forgotten why he's come? Have you forgotten that he's come in order to destroy people like me? 
thanks God for giving him my name. And the Lord is gracious, isn't he? The Lord is gracious to Ananias. The second time he speaks, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show how much he must suffer for my name. We probably ought to pause at this point because this is a very, very important line in Luke. Three times in, the gospel, in Acts, we hear of Paul's conversion. Um, here in this narrative, twice on his lips. And this is theologically really, really important stuff. Um, there, is, there is a strange belief going around that there are two types of Christianity. There's the, the Jesus-based Christianity, and there is the, the Paul-based Christianity. Uh, the Jesus-based Christianity is full of the things that we like, the Sermon on the Mount, love your neighbor, turn your cheek, that nice stuff that we, we ignore but we like. Um, And there is the Paul type of Christianity, which is based on all the things that we don't like. Um, And in this strange, it's it's, it's so strange for so many reasons. They they, they say the same thing. Um, We just ignore the bits of Jesus that we don't like, and we we, take on board 1 Corinthians 13. It's crazy. But, But underlying this, do you see how the Lord Jesus has anointed Paul to be his special instrument. And we kind of ignore that, so many people today. You know, Jesus said this, we must follow that, but Paul said that, we don't, need to, we don't need to do that. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, but Paul did, and we don't need to listen to Paul. You see, right here, so important to ignore Paul is to ignore Jesus who appointed Paul. But more than that, there is amazing grace here, isn't there? Do we not see the grace of Jesus? Jesus wants an ambassador who will take his name to the ends of the world. And who does he pick? He picks this man who has devoted himself to persecuting the church. Isn't that amazing grace um i don't know you guys i don't know what you've done in your life i'm glad you don't know what i've done in my life um but haven't we all done things that we are deeply deeply shameful about that we're deeply guilty about and this story tells us there is nothing that we have done wrong oh it is so bad that Jesus cannot use us in his service. Isn't that grace? If if Jesus could pick Paul, Saul, well, he can use us. There is amazing grace shown by Jesus. Well, Ananias eventually goes. He goes to the house, he enters it, verse 17, places the hand on Saul, and these amazing words come onto his lips. Saul is this man who's come to Damascus to lock up people like Ananias, take them to Jerusalem. And Saul says these amazing words, Brother Saul, it doesn't matter what you've done. In Christ, you are my brother. And isn't that an amazing picture 
of what this church should be. It doesn't matter what you've done. You are my brother. And Saul prays for him. And Jesus heals his sight. And um, Saul gets up and he is baptized and takes some food. And the very next thing we see, Saul's action. This is Saul, this man who has seen the risen Jesus and is understanding the significance. He goes out and immediately he begins to preach in the synagogues. Verse 20. What does he preach? Well, his message is Jesus. Verse 20. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 22. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Just think about what these these terms meant. Jesus was crucified because he made these claims about himself. And now here is Saul preaching these very truths. He's the Son of God. We want to know what God is like. Look at his son. Like father, like son. We all can know God. Because we can know his son. Jesus is the Messiah. He's, he's the Christ. Um, Christ, Messiah. Just means anointed. Uh, there were three types of people in the Old Testament who were anointed. There were prophets, people who spoke on behalf of God. There were priests, people who were our intermediate between us and God. And and there were kings. And Paul is saying, Saul is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He is this Christ, this anointed one. And that is such good news. We live in a world where I hear certain media and you hear certain media And what I believe is different from what you believe. And we're all confused. Who do we listen to? Well, we can listen to Jesus. The prophet of God who speaks his truth. And we can have absolute certainty in what he says. Isn't that good news? He is our priest. Again, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what things make you feel separated from God. The things that make you separated from God. But Jesus is the one who deals with those things. Whatever you've done, we can place them on Christ. And remember that in the Lord's Supper later. That Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. Whatever we've done, forgiven by Christ. And he's the perfect king. Don't we live in a world where we look at our rulers and, and weep in despair? Well, Jesus is that perfect ruler who always acts justly, who always acts with mercy. He is the one who will make things right. He is good news. And as Saul preaches this message, some believe, but many reject. They try to kill Saul. Saul comes to hear of it, and his followers hide him away in a basket in verse 25. They lower him down the wall. Isn't it strange that this good news is greeted with so much hostility? And isn't that like the Lord Jesus who came giving us good news who was killed for that? Well, next time 
Saul goes on to Jerusalem. He tries to join the disciples, verse 26. And not, uh, uh, quite understandably, they are afraid of him. Amongst these group of disciples would have been widows whose husbands were killed by Saul. There would have been people who might be childless or orphans because of the actions of Saul. There is fear, understandable fear. But Barnabas steps in, verse 27. He brings Saul to the apostles. He explains what has happened to Saul. And he comes in, and um, Saul is welcomed into the church. It's interesting, isn't it, how we have the story of Ananias. We have the story of Barnabas. We've got maybe the ABCs of evangelism, the Ananias and Barnabas method of come to church and meet with the saints. Isn't that one of the most effective means of evangelism we have? That the Lord has chosen Ananias, Barnabas as instruments to bring Saul into the church. And so he is there and once again, Saul, this um, person who has seen the risen Jesus, preaches Christ. He preaches Jesus as Lord, the one we are to follow and obey in all things. He talks and baits with the Jews. They try to kill him once more. And verse 30, when the believers learn of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. This is going to be the story of Saul's life, of going to a place, preaching the gospel, of um, seeing some people come to know the truth, but seeing many people who reject that and try to kill him. The gospel is going to be spread amongst the wave of persecution. We have a summary statement, a really important summary statement. Verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. This is one of the really important uh, summary statements in the in the book of Acts. Um, we've had many problems, if, if you read through Acts, many problems that the church faces. But God is able to overcome all. This chapter began amidst persecution, great persecution that the church faced. How would the church stand up to this persecution? Well, the risen Lord Jesus reigns. And he exercises power over his earth. He has all power and authority. And in an instant, he was able to stop Saul and convert him and turn him into the great preacher of the gospel who went out. Do we see the power of God in this? Do we see the fear of the church as, as Saul is about to attack and destroy and grow? cause great harm. And Jesus steps in in all his risen glory and power. And Saul is converted. And he becomes this great instrument for God. Isn't God amazing? We've seen his grace in picking Saul. We see his power in converting him. We see his, his humor. That this man who came up from Jerusalem up to Damascus to try and destroy the church, 
before he even entered Damascus, he has been converted and is now that instrument in God's hands to make him known. And so the question is, why? Why do we fear persecution? If, if Jesus really has been risen to, to new life, if the authority has been given to him, if he rules the nations, why is it that we fear persecution? Do we really think that mankind in all his puny little strength can stop the spread of the church? Do we get worried when somebody might dislike our social media post? Do we get worried that God might somehow need this building or our, our cleverness or our standing with the world in order to expand his church? Has not history taught us that time and time again, whatever the world does in trying to destroy the church, Jesus is more powerful and is able to overcome all difficulties. Think back in China, the challenges facing the churches there and how it's encouraged the churches to split into smaller groups where they've gone out and spread the gospel faster. We, of course, know this truth living in Oxford. Go back to 1555 where a man, an um, old man, a 70-year-old man, Latimer, is being led out of the city prison. And he is taken uh, with Master Ridley, 52 years old, and they're taken out of the city wall. Uh, bales are put around them, and they are burnt to death. I hope you know this story. This was a time of Queen Mary, the, the most powerful person in the kingdom the queendom, um, trying to destroy the church and the reformation. And what did she do? She ignited a flame that has not been put out. People saw what these reformers believed. They saw what these Christians believed. They saw their willingness to face even death for the glorious news that we are saved by Jesus Christ alone. And the gospel spread. This is the heritage that we enjoy in this city. This is the heritage that we enjoy as Christians, that no matter how much the church will seek to destroy, how much the world will seek to destroy the church, Jesus Christ is risen and he is powerful and we need not fear the world. And so the simple question is, do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus is alive? And he can do that. Because if we do, we have so much confidence walking into the future. Because Christ will build his church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail again. And so I hope this is our confidence that we believe the things that we have professed in the creed. That we trust Christ, and we have confidence that he will grow his church. I'm going to pray that we do just that. Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive and he reigns. We thank you that all authority has been given to him. 
And thank you that because of the resurrection, he has conquered death and he has conquered all things that might oppose your kingdom. Help us to believe these things when it is hard to do so. Help us to live in accordance with that. We ask these things in Jesus' name.